0: Well, it is summertime, it, uh, last week I think was the official first Sunday of summer, and I was not here, and now you're not here, so we're getting even with each other. No, you guys are here, and that's wonderful. Um, we are starting a new series. Every summer, uh, the first summer I was here, we did Philippians. Uh, the last two summers, I went through the Psalms uh, with the idea that, one, the Psalms are wonderful, but also... Uh, Every week, you could kind of have a a brand new start. I am going to do a series this summer. We're going to look at uh, the spiritual disciplines or disciplines of grace. Um, And so if you miss it, you can hear it online. They will sort of build on each other. There will, I think, be a total of six, possibly seven of these sermons. We do have some guests this summer. Shane will preach in two weeks during GA. And about three weeks later, uh, the RUF, OU RUF guy will be here. So he'll bring a little bit of his uh, OU to here. Uh, I think we're going to have Jonathan Dorst here this summer as well, uh, if he's able to find his time back. So that's a little bit of what we're doing. Um, so that's what we're doing in the summertime. When I was in high school, and even maybe younger, the summer was one of those, mo- those periods, and it's p- becoming that way for my kids, where it's like, what's my schedule? And I felt both this freedom to sleep in, to stay up late, mixed with this urging to get disciplined. Anyone... You know what I mean? Like, I really need to be disciplined right now because there's absolutely no schedule. Um, So that's kind of what's leading into maybe the heart behind this series. In the past weeks, I've heard of people being disciplined in various ways. One way, some people I know, and I'm trying this a little bit, are counting macros. Anyone know what that is besides the front row here or maybe someone back there? Counting macros. It's when you keep your diet. You kind of check in. What have I eaten today? And you enter it in your, your smartphone. Other people I've talked to, they're cutting up credit cards. They're getting out of debt. They're, they're going disciplined. I know of some people who will say things like, I'm getting off of Facebook, either for a, ch- a period of time or maybe forever. I'm, I'm going to get disciplined with my time or my social media intake. I have not had anybody walk up to me in, in recent memory, and if, if you did and I forget, I apologize, but I, I can't think of anyone that's walked up and said, Ryan, this summer I'm getting godly. Like, that's my goal. I'm going to set out a plan, and I'm going to become godly. Anybody here doing that this summer? Raise your hand if that's already been your goal. No one wants to raise their hand. Humility is set in. 1 <laughs> Timothy 4.8, the Apostle Paul says, For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. And so this summer, I want to look at what, would, what is our role and becoming godly, and growing in holiness. And, and the means by which God has left us are the spiritual disciplines. So I'm titling the disciplines of grace. Uh, you might have been heard of that title with uh, Jerry Bridges. Jerry Bridges was a navigator, uh, also in, in the PCA in, in Colorado Springs. He's passed away. But he wrote his first book was The Pursuit of Holiness. Who's heard of The Pursuit of Holiness? I know we've got some. That was his bestseller by far. And that was a very book focused on the disciplines of this Christian life. His next book, which I think we have out in the hallway, Transforming Grace. All about how the gospel is what transforms you. That book sold less copies. Um, However, people would come up to him at conferences and say, You're the same author? How can the guy who wrote The Pursuit of Holiness have written this book on the gospel? So he wrote a third book, Disciplines of Grace. And that book was very helpful for me. And understanding and grasping the fact that when I understand the gospel, that is, how I was saved by Jesus through faith, That the more I understand the reality of that, the more I will long to be like Jesus and want the discipline. So that book kind of tries to bridge the gap of the two. So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning uh, and this summer. Uh, the major goal of the spiritual disciplines, as I plan to unpack them, is this instead of thinking about becoming something special, I want you to envision dragging your body into the path of grace. That's what the disciplines do. They, they move you into the path where grace is coming. Remember those old black and white uh, silent films where the ladies on the train track tied up and the music's playing and the train's coming? That's you and I. We don't want to be there. We're trying to get off. Grace is coming. But it's scary because it, revi- it, it makes us have to die. We have to be honest with our sin and so we tend to get off Well, what I hope we'll do is stay on the track let the train of grace hit us is that a bad way to start a sermon series at least you have the visual image there it's going to be painful but it's going to show you Jesus and that's what we're after this particular morning as an intro to the series I want to talk about keeping the heart I'm borrowing that title as well I'm just borrowing everything that's what we do right we borrow it from the Bible or from the the writer's gone before us John Flavel wrote a book called keeping the heart and um, the verse he looked at when he wrote the entire uh, book is Proverbs 4:23. so if you will turn in your Bibles here's a trick I'm going to trick you to Ephesians 3 okay hold your place or if you have a smartphone get there because later I'm going to refer to it and we're going to spend a little bit more time there Proverbs 4 verse 23 you don't need to look at because it's like two lines If you want to do both and you're you're fast, do it. But I'd rather you be at Ephesians 3. But Proverbs 4.23 says this. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from from your heart flow the springs of life. And what John Flavel is getting at, and what I want to make sure we get at throughout this series is, We do not want to develop a set of habits to make ourselves feel good. Rather, what we want to do is keep our heart before the Lord. Uh, Flavel says something along these lines. He says, the greatest work needed for a person is conversion. And that's true, right? If you have not been converted, the the greatest need and the hardest work, and it's all done by God, is your redemption, your regeneration, your coming to know Christ. But he says the second greatest thing after that is the need to keep the heart. And I think sometimes we don't grasp the need of of that after conversion. We We get the idea of needing to come to Christ, but we're not sure what to do after. And that's what we want to spend some time in this summer looking at. So this morning, proposition, if you're writing down the proposition of the sermon. It is essential for a Christian to tend or to keep their heart. Okay? That's what we're going to talk about. Um, what I want to make sure we understand, point number one, that the aim of the disciplines, then, is keeping the heart. What is the spiritual discipline? This is an idea I worked up. There's a million ways to define them. But they're God-given means. Okay, That's important. God gave them. If I say, I like to bungee jump, I feel close to God. Well, great. You're probably because you're about to die. But it's not in the Bible. So the means of grace or disciplines are God-given. They're His means by which we get closer to Him. By which we experience and get closer to Him, right? To God. And now that we have that sort of rudimentary definition, then the idea that we have to grasp moving forward is the goal is that our heart becomes changed. One of the things that the Bible is so clear about from the beginning to the end is that your heart drives you. Most philosophies don't come that way, right? Even the ones I mentioned about dieting or, or finances or social media intake or anything. Work outside in. But the Bible works inside out. And what the scriptures teach is that your heart drives what your behavior. And that's what we we're after with the spiritual disciplines. We're after heart change, keeping the heart. Matthew twelve thirty four. Jesus is talking to Pharisees. He's going to be a little bit harsh, but a Pharisee was a person who understood the law of god and in their mind kept the law of god and in the culture's mind knew more of religion than anybody but jesus didn't feel that way and here's what he says to one particular group of them you brood of vipers that wasn't a compliment how can you speak good when you are evil for out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaks at another place he says you are whitewashed tombs you look polished all that is inside is a decaying corpse. And and what Jesus is after then is that the heart is renewed, right? And from that flows the rivers of living water that we will seek in our lives. But not only the New Testament, the Old Testament, Deuteronomy four nine, Moses writes, Only take care and keep your soul diligently, lest you forget the things that your eyes have seen. Do you hear that? It's possible to have seen, to have experienced, to have known, and yet to forget. So there's this need, once you've come to Christ, to diligently continue in Christ and grow. Proverbs 23, hear my son and be wise, and direct your heart in the way. All of these verses drive at the point that our heart is the, is the seedbed of our affections. And that's what drives you. Think about the times in your life where you've been the most focused. When you've really accomplished the most, your heart is focused. It's in it. It wants it. Think about the times where you aren't doing so well. People would say, well, their heart wasn't in it. I, I, just, I went through the motions, but my heart wasn't engaged. So the goal, then, of the disciplines, as we look at them, is to tend to the heart and keep it, its affections aimed at Jesus where they belong. Right? Why do we need to keep the heart, then? That's what the heart is. It's a seedbed. Why do we need to keep it? Number one, um, everything... Is getting stagnant that doesn't have the influx of energy okay I'm not is it physics it talks about the law of thermodynamics anybody know the law second law of thermodynamics good because I can butcher it I'm going to do such a bad job that if you happen to know anything about it you won't even bother to approach me you'll be like he's not ready I think I got this from something like Wikipedia but anyway the second law of thermodynamics is about the quality of energy it states that as energy is transferred or transformed, more and more of it is wasted. The second law also states that there is a natural tendency of any isolated system to degenerate into a more disordered state. Okay? In other words, things in nature decay and get worse. And so does your heart. The image that comes to my mind is Dances with Wolves. When he comes to that, that you know, he's John Dunbar, he wants to go to the West, If you haven't seen it, I'm not going to tell you all about it. There's a scene where John Dunbar comes to the only water source. He goes to get a drink, and it's filled with decay. You see like a rotting elk or deer, antler, and and he has to go about removing these items and setting them on fire and purifying the system because left alone, without the help of people to tend to it, that pond became a decaying, rotted pond, and that's our heart. But what is worse, our heart not only gets worse just because it's not being tended, it's already broken, right? Remember, I mean, that's what happened in the fall. That's the whole project of the Bible is that we have a heart that is broken. It's Jeremiah 17 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Isn't that good news? Everyone's like, yes. Well, that's what your heart is like. That's what my heart is like. And so, our hearts, because of the way they are made after the fall, there's no more influx. There's no more source of of life coming in without the Spirit, and they're decaying, and they're hardened. But what about the Christian? Well, the Christian has the Spirit. The Christian's been renewed, right? The Christian's been regenerated. Here's a really bad illustration. I really mean that. I talked about it with with Doug. He's like, it needs some work, but I'm going to go for it anyway. Have you ever had a a software on your computer, but it needed an unlock code? Right? It's there, but it needs to be unlocked, okay? Well, the human being has a wonderful heart. There's nothing wrong with the human's heart, but the fall has created a separation from the Holy Spirit. So it's locked. It feeds on itself. But at regeneration, the Spirit comes in and and, and unlocks the code. And for the first time, the software is usable. Here's what I added since we talked. I got Adobe, uh, when Emily and I were in graphic design, we bought the Adobe package for way too much money. I think now you can just pay monthly. This is in 1997 on this ancient computer, uh, PowerPC with all these numbers that Steve Jobs did away with when he showed back up. Anyway, now we have this software and it's wonderful. And then we kind of moved away from using graphic design for a while. And years later, I thought, ooh, I wanna do something with Adobe Photoshop. Well, guess what I found out? I'm like eight versions old, right? You can buy the upgrade if you have, like, two versions old, but really the one I have is a dinosaur. and won't even run anymore on any modern computer. It's, like, dead and dying. So my point there is if you come to Christ and you're regenerated, but that's the last time you did anything with your heart, you haven't lost salvation, but you're living out of the flesh, and you're no longer getting the benefit of the software. Does that make sense? Okay, maybe it does, maybe it doesn't. I'm going to have to prove this to some of you. Some of you are going, no, no, no. No, no, no. You come to Christ, you're justification by faith, and you're golden, right? Is that your view? Is that what happens? It's like, I went out to the swimming pool, I had a lemonade, I came in and I was holy. Does anyone have that experience? I've never had that experience. I went out craving cake. I walked in, don't want cake anymore. I don't know where that happened. It doesn't happen that way. Here's Ephesians, Ephesians 3. Paul says this, For this reason, I'm at verse 14, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with the power through His Spirit in your inner being. Verse 17, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Okay, if you have your, this is why I want you to have your Bible open to Ephesians 3. Wait a minute. At my conversion, I've, I've learned in the past that I was converted because Christ came to dwell with me in my heart through faith. But this is clearly a, pa- a passage about sanctification, growing in holiness. Well, let's move on. Paul says, that you, being rooted and grounded in love. Okay, so let me back up so that Christ may dwell in you, your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, that's what happened at conversion. You were rooted and grounded in the love of Christ. That happened. But he continues in verse 18, that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness God now he's talking to Christians he's talking to people who have been converted and he says to them for this reason I'm praying something for you there's a there's something you need that you're not experiencing yet and that is a certain measure of the grasp of the love of Christ right now you can still argue ah but Ryan they have nothing they have to do right Paul's praying it they're reading a letter and hopefully it begins to just happen, right? But look at the word in verse 18, that you may have strength to comprehend. Strength. Have you ever seen someone really strong do something really amazing? Can you imagine, like, watching on a video right now, someone really strong lifts something really heavy, and it's really amazing. And I pause it and tell you this. That person is designed by a sovereign God. He did nothing god made the deltoids and the pectorals and the brain and the, all the lats and all the things he did nothing for that secondly he was just born he didn't plan that right and he just grew and as he grew yeah he would work out but you know what happens when you work out you tear down muscle but when he would sleep god grew his muscles is that crazy to think about and then not only that The fact that he's even alive on whatever platform wherever he's doing this lift the oxygen that's coming into his body is a complete gift from a sovereign God right and it's it's oxygenating his blood which is flowing through his brain telling him how to remember the movement and 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 feeding the muscles and doing all that he he did nothing but if he were right here and he just finished that lift here's what it would look like (gasps) (gasps) and there's this is me at crossfit thomas can attest this just sweat is just dripping and if you walked over to me and say you did nothing i probably want to punch you i felt like i did a whole bunch so that's the mystery isn't it in one sense god through paul is is answering this prayer for the ephesians and for you and i that we would have something what strength strength to do what Go out and be disciplined? No. To know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Here is the mental image I want you to have. When you are in Christ, tied through the Spirit, you have a hazmat suit with a tether to the Father and you get to go in. I do do the heart thing sometimes, but this is a little different. You get to go into the chambers of of your heart with this hazmat suit you're protected because of the gospel you can't lose your salvation you're completely loved there's nothing you can do to earn god's love there's nothing you can do to lose god's love so now you're free to go into your heart and point out the poison areas there it is you see this dark thing you have a shining a light the spirit's talking to you and you say spirit i see it right there i was mean to Stan. i was harsh to him okay sin right well, if you don't walk with Christ, you don't tend the heart, you can't look at that because it's painful. You don't want to remember that you were gossiping or, or said something harsh. But with the Spirit, you can actually begin to grab at that dark, dirty part of your heart. And as you do that, you realize something weird. I hate Stan. I chose the name Stan because there's no Stans in here, I hope. Anyone's name Stan? I like you. Um, so you're digging it out, and you don't just hate Stan. You hate people like Stan, and, and you keep digging it. It's because he reminds you of your fault, and it goes deeper and deeper and deeper. And yet, you can—the spirit is saying, "Let's keep digging." That's what sanctification looks like. It's painful. That's the train of grace. You're actually, but everything you're touching can be healed and renewed if you're willing to go in. And that's what the spiritual disciplines provide. They are means of grace by which we can bring all of the fullness of the deity of Christ into our souls and say, please heal me. I'm going to say something that's going to sound a little bit harsh, I'm not making fun of anybody. But if a quiet time is a a cup of tea or coffee, and and I open my Bible, and I read the prescribed passage, and I smile and I close it, and I jot down a few thoughts, and I pray a prescribed prayer, and I go my way. On one hand, I want to say, well done. I I really mean that. But I want to say, maybe go back. Maybe dig a little deeper. Maybe you didn't really tend to your heart. Maybe you simply checked off an action item that makes you feel better about yourself. If you aren't reading your Bible at all, and I'm sure that's true of many of us, open your Bible and read that and do that. But I'm just telling you, read it again. Pray and read that same passage or that one verse again and ask the Spirit to open your eyes. But what I'm trying to suggest right now before I move into some more practical things is it's going to be messy, tending the heart is, and yet it's needed work. Okay, so now I want to move into what, how the disciplines help us by starting off with a few myths that I think happen in our minds or happen out in, in society. One is the idea that spiritual... Discipline is the same thing as self-control, right? Self-control. I walk into a room, there's a plate of cookies. I'm not having cookies today. I'm walking on, that's self-control, right? That would be, That's an example of a type of self-control. Spiritual disciplines are not that. They're what get you there. Not that you need to not have cookies. Eat cookies. I'm just trying not to pick on the same types of people and all that. So, uh, In other words, self-discipline is you actually saying, I need help I need help I on my own actions will not bypass that sin or that temptation I'll say the wrong thing here I need some tending I need help that's what the spiritual disciplines are for right so they don't equal self-control they lead to it secondly there's a myth that says the more disciplined, especially self-disciplined and, and, and spiritual discipline-oriented a person is, I don't think anyone would say this, but it's out there. The less you'll need Jesus. You know? I mean, I read my Bible, I pray, I have my, re- my regiments, and I go through my life, and I love Jesus. He was huge when I became a Christian. But now, unless I do something really, really bad, he's, he's my, you know, I don't know what to do with him. Sorry, that's not how it works. It's more like the woman breaking the glass alabaster with her hair and washing his feet. That's what spiritual disciplines look like. I need you, Jesus. I need more of you. The opposite myth would be this. Oh, I get Jesus. I, I, I get the gospel. I, I've heard it. I listen to Keller. I've gone through sonship. These are my favorite things, so I'm, I'm attacking myself a little bit. So I really don't need the disciplines of, of Christian life. I get the gospel that's interesting Jesus who had zero sin who got the gospel spent so much time in prayer and fasting and with his father right the more you get Jesus the more you want to be with the father through the disciplines so another myth disciplines are, and this may be sort of backtracking a little bit but disciplines are the result of holiness the more holy I get the more I'll have spiritual disciplines we turn that around the more I practice the disciplines rightly, the holier I will get. Now, let me add one caveat you 'll never think you 're holy. If you ever find yourself thinking you 're holy let 's go kind of go back to the cross right you 'll never think it, but that doesn 't mean you 're not becoming more holy. OK. those are some myths. I want to now bring us back to some practicality for keeping the heart. Um, Flavel has these six. I'm going. This is a this is a Puritan writer. So if you don't like it, take it up with the Puritans. And Doug, no, I'm kidding. Um, there's several of you that are historians that love the Puritans here, right? The Puritans are amazing. Not every single Puritan writer is equally amazing, but there are a few that are really gold. But listen to what he says. These are six behaviors we want to engage in as we move into the spiritual disciplines. First, frequent observation of the frame of the heart. Many of you have, are acquainted with the concept of mindfulness, right? The idea of mindfulness is sort of being aware of what's happening right now in your presence, right? Being aware of your body, of, of what's going on. Well, being aware of your heart. How aware are you of your heart? Do you notice when your heart's angry? When your heart, when the affections begin to move? Do you, are you aware of when God is distant? Are you aware, are you you taking any kind of measurement of your heart? Two, he says it includes deep humiliation for heart evils and disorders. And again, going into the heart, the the hazmat suit, you don't see, I yelled at my spouse. Ah, that wasn't a big deal. Right? Keeping the heart would mean going, that's a big deal, because there's something behind it, too. So that's number two. Three, Uh, Keeping the Heart includes earnest supplication and instant prayer for purifying and rectifying grace. I can't do better than what he says, so I'm going to read what he writes. He says, Oh, for a heart to love God more, to hate sin more, to walk more evenly with God. Lord, deny not to me such a heart. Whatever you deny, give me a heart to fear you, to love and delight in you. If I beg my bread in desolate places. He is saying, Lord, I want you. And I want to hate sin and evil. Number four is it includes, that is tending the heart, keeping the heart. includes the imposing of, this is the hardest one for us. Imposing of strong engagements upon ourselves. Ready? To walk more carefully with God and avoid the occasions whereby the heart may be induced to sin. We hate that. We are, think a a child doesn't, I I hate to talk about children because mine are in here, so other children unlike mine think they can handle great temptation. Immature people, me, you, most of us think when we're not living in in Christ, sometimes we go, I can handle this temptation. I can go into that situation. And then we fall. And what, what Flavel is saying is maturity is not, going into hard situations and winning but rather it's being aware of places i oughtn't go now here's the twist don't tell other people they shouldn't go right if cards are hard for me you know i don't need to tell an entire denomination quit playing cards kind of a thing right but maybe i just need to avoid playing cards right is that did i just cross some unspoken line my bad number five So that's number four. Five is it includes a constant and holy jealousy over our hearts, right? Um, Basically, not just avoiding sin, but actually knowing where your affections lie. That is very, very difficult. Knowing what gets your affections stirring in the wrong directions, right? And finally, and this is probably one of the most important, tending the heart through the disciplines includes realizing God's presence is with you, at all times. Setting the Lord always before us. I think one of our challenges at times is we think God's not here. Especially in the moments of sin, right? We just act as if He's not present. He's always present. And we need to cultivate that mindset. Okay. I'm at 29 minutes and 16 seconds. So if this feels unusually long, it's not me. It's you. I'm now at 29:24. I will wrap it up by saying this. Here is my hope for you. To go into this summer and go, you know what? If you walk out of here and there's a microphone out there that's the people's court, guy walks up to you, don't, you know, puts the microphone in your face. What did what did you learn from Ryan today? Here's what I hope you would say. I probably ought to have a few spiritual disciplines. That would be a huge success. I would be like, "Yes, I probably ought to have a plan to read my Bible and to pray." I mean, I'm not kidding right now. That would be, I would be very, very, that's what we're talking about. I hope you're not thinking I'm talking about something crazy. Now, when you're reading your Bible and when you're praying, open your heart. That's a little bit harder to do. You need the Spirit to do that. But to begin to say, Jesus, I want to know you more. I want to, uh, to just end with Ephesians 3 one more time. Paul's prayer, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength and maybe a little bit of a plan to go to the Bible and pray to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. That's what we're looking at this summer over about six different sermons with intermittent breaks. Does that make sense? Everyone going to have a new plan for spiritual disciplines this summer? Or right, we'll put it on the Facebook or on the city and track your, just kidding, let's pray. Father, you are so gracious. We do not perform a discipline that you may like us more or love us better. But rather, Lord, we move towards you because you already love us fully. If we are in you, Christ, you dwell in us. We are new creations. And now the unlock code has happened and we can move towards you with freedom. Forgive us for not. Forgive us for for being fearful. Forgive us our unbelief. Teach us, Lord, to not be perfectionists, to not set out elaborate systems, but rather simply to meet with you, to pray, to read your word, to fellowship. Father, to do different things that your scripture prescribes to all with the means of getting your gospel deeper and deeper into our souls, that you are indeed our heavenly Father. Holy Spirit, If there's been any sense in anybody's mind or heart of of the false accusation of legalism or uh, of Satan's trying to convince anybody this morning that this is works righteousness, please squelch that. It's not true. Lord, if there's anybody here that isn't converted, would you open their eyes, even this morning, to know you are real and they need you desperately. We love you, Lord. Amen.